Welcome to the Nixon Now Podcast. I'm Jonathan Freudis. What is the role of the White House Chief of Staff and what effect have they had in the governance of the presidential administration? Here with us to discuss this today is Chris Whipple, author of The Gatekeepers, How the White House Chiefs of Staff Define Every Presidency. Chris Whipple is an acclaimed documentary filmmaker, a writer, journalist, and speaker. A Peabody and Emmy Award winner, producer of CBS 60 Minutes and ABC's Primetime, he's the Chief Executive Officer of CC Whip Productions. Most, re- most recently, he was the writer and executive producer of Showtime's The Spy Masters, CIA in the Crosshairs. Of the gatekeepers, Jonathan Alter says, through Whipple's discerning lens, we learn scores of new things about how government really works at the highest level. Chris Whipple, welcome. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Oh, why, Chris, did you decide to write this very comprehensive book about White House Chiefs of Staff? Well, you know, it all began with a phone call out of the blue from a stranger, a, a, a filmmaker named Jules Naudet. Uh He and his brother, Gideon, had done a, uh, a film for CBS called 9-11, which was the iconic uh, film on that horrible day. Uh, and they wondered if I would partner with them on a documentary uh, about the White House Chiefs of Staff, which we did for Discovery in 2013. But I, you know, I realized that it just barely scratched the surface of this unbelievable untold story of 17 living White House chiefs who really make the difference in every presidency between success and disaster. The first chief of staff you mentioned uh, in the gatekeepers is President Dwight Eisenhower's uh, chief of staff, Sherman Adams. Uh, You write that the first White House chief of staff was a loyal, selfless, and was so fiercely protective of the president that he was called the abominable no-man. Uh, in his memoirs, R.N., Nixon writes that Adams was very influential with Eisenhower, and his cold and abrupt personal demeanor were a standard feature of many Washington dinner parties and gossip columns. Uh, what kind of chief of staff was Sherman Adams, and how did Eisenhower want his White House to work? Yeah, I think, you know, Sherman Adams was probably, most historians would say, the the first official White House chief of staff. He was the uh, he was really the civilian equivalent of Ike's Army Chief of Staff, and um, you know I love I love what Harry Truman said when he heard that Eisenhower had been elected. Uh, he said, "Poor Ike, you know he's going to snap his fingers and say, do this, do that, do the other thing, and nothing will happen. It won't be anything like the military." Well, I think Adams was. Um, as I say, you know, famously gruff uh, and tough, a great gate, gatekeeper, um, and he, uh, you know, he he gave Eisenhower time and space to think. Um, that was um, a critical role, and but I don't think that he was as empowered as as H.R. Bob Haldeman was subsequently under Nixon. I think that Haldeman really took it to another level and created the template for the modern White House chief. Going back before Nixon, how did the how did the position of White House Chief of Staff evolve in the Kennedy and Johnson administrations? Well, you know, presidents have always had confidants going all the way back to George Washington, and um, but I think that um, you know Kennedy and LBJ were were interesting because Kennedy, for whatever reason, it may well have been because he thought Sherman Adams was was too empowered. Um, you know, he, he, Kennedy wanted all of his advisors to have equal access, come and go from the Oval, and he would make the decisions. And guess what? You know, then came the Bay of Pigs. Um, uh, 
just a complete disaster, and Kennedy felt lied to by his generals, and I think he felt that he needed a filter. He needed somebody to uh, to help be a kind of honest broker of information, and I and I think that person was became Bobby Kennedy. I mean, that person was Kennedy was really kind of a de facto uh, chief for for Kennedy thereafter. Um, LBJ, of course, larger than life, um, a creature of Capitol Hill, uh, knew everybody's vulnerabilities. Um, you know, he was a guy who, if ever, if ever a president could be his own White House chief, LBJ was probably it. But, you know, in the end, it didn't serve him well, I don't think. I mean, he was consumed by the office and, and of course, by Vietnam. So I think that Nixon... When he came in, partly partly it was, of course, he was influenced by Ike, who told him that he needed to have a, a, a quote-unquote, too perfect son of a bitch. Um, partly because of Ike, but probably also looking at Kennedy and LBJ, I think Nixon wisely decided that he need, needed to empower a White House chief, and, and he sure did with H.R. Uh, Haldeman. Um, who was... Bob Haldeman, and how did he, how did he emerge to become the White House Chief of Staff? Can you give a little bit of about his background? Well, yeah, you know, just an absolutely fascinating character, Haldeman, and and part of it, of course, is the is the irony um, that uh, here is the guy that we associate with Watergate, um, the infamous part of the so-called. Berlin Wall that uh, supposedly isolated Nixon and and uh, made made Watergate possible um, is in fact the guy who often talked Nixon off the ledge, talked him out of bad and sometimes criminal ideas, and who created the template for the modern White House chief of staff. I mean, he's the guy uh, a lot of his successors look to, point to as someone who knew more about how to run the White House than anybody. Um, so yeah, Haldeman was, um, it, and it's interesting because their relationship, the relationship between Nixon and Haldeman was not close. As Larry Higby uh, points out, um, he didn't consider Haldeman a friend. You know, he, he really uh, was a staffer. Um, uh, you, know, you know, Nixon thought of uh, maybe, maybe John Mitchell, uh, uh, and John Connolly as friends, but he was he was not on that level. Um, but he was um, he was the ultimate gatekeeper who created time and space for Nixon to think. He was the he was a hell, he ran a hell of a White House. I mean, he was he ran a very efficient um, uh, process of of getting information to Nixon and teeing up arguments on both sides. He was the honest broker. He was the guy, he was the heat shield who took all the flack, the incoming fire. Um, and he created the template for the modern chief. Yeah, during the transition, Haldeman was tasked uh, to set up the administration. Um, what could be thought of as one of the, the largest corporation in the world, if not the largest. And he keenly observed observed Nixon's um, uh, campaign and leadership style. You write that Haldeman, the consummate advance man, would take an important lesson uh, to the White House. The president's time is his most valuable asset. Um, how did Haldeman build a system uh, that was suitable for Nixon? What, what was the system? 
Well, you know, Haldeman was obsessive about about this. I mean, he read everything he could get his hands on. He talked to everybody. He he really thought this through. He he of course was the ultimate advanced man. That was that was his real passion. He during the campaign, and of course he he revolutionized presidential campaigns with uh, you know uh, remember the selling of the president in 1968, that classic book about um, the the 68 campaign where uh, where Haldeman really learned how to preserve Nixon's energy and create a commercial campaign. And, uh, of course, there was a young producer named Roger Ailes who was instrumental. Anyway, Haldeman came into the White House determined to try to make it work for Nixon and build it around Nixon's personality. That meant, as the as it as the ultimate gatekeeper, he he created, as I say, time and space for Nixon to think. That was one of the most important things he did. And I think every chief of staff who followed him will tell you that the most valuable asset you have in any administration is the president's time. It's just absolutely critical. Uh, Haldeman recognized that and created time for Nixon by becoming a, a ruthless gatekeeper. Um, and, um, you know, the system that he created is one that presidents have strayed from at their peril ever since. Uh, in a 1967 memo, uh, Haldeman told Nixon uh, that the time has come for political campaigning, its techniques and strategies to come out of the dark ages and into the brave new world of the omnipresent eye. Uh, that omnipresent eye, of course, being television. How did TV affect the, the presidency and the work uh, of the chief of staff? Well, I think, um, you know, again, you put your finger on how he how he revolutionized campaigning. I think he carried that forward into the White House and, and, and was able to try to control the president's message. I mean, it's it's not not enough just to be the gatekeeper and to uh, to control access to the Oval Office. I mean, the White House chief, ever since Haldeman, has been the guy, and so far they're, they've all been guys, of course, but the person who makes sure that the administration is speaking with one voice. Um, that's really critical, and it's something we haven't been seeing lately in the White House. Uh, because this White House is oblivious to history. But Haldeman really was able to run a very tight ship and and to make sure that, um, you know, that if the Labor Secretary is saying one thing, uh, then the Commerce Secretary wasn't contradicting him, uh, you know, somewhere, it, it, it's somewhere across the country. He made sure that everybody was, was on the same page. And... You know, if you talk to White House chiefs uh, ever since, they will tell you that that was an important lesson. One thing that Haldeman was really focused on and interested in was staffing of the White House. Um, according to Haldeman, what were the ideal qualities of the White House of a White House aide? Well, I, I recall him talking about. Um, how every you know White House aide should have a quote unquote passion for anonymity. Um, that was that was a key requirement. That's not so much a requirement anymore uh, for White House chiefs. I think that um, I hold them in state for the most part um, in the background. Uh, you know, wasn't on camera much. Uh, modern White House chiefs do have to. Uh, to 
come forward and and you know go on the Sunday shows and and defend the administration's policies more. I would say in, in the current era, but um, but anonymity was one key thing that he stressed. Um, it was a um, he held people, he made people accountable. Haldeman ran a very, very tight ship, and boy, if you uh, if you didn't deliver, uh, you heard from him. Haldeman also warned about end running the chief of staff. Uh, why was this, in terms of the system that he created, why was this concern of concern to him? Well, you know, end running is is a really critical uh, concern for any White House chief and and for any president uh, because what happens when you have an end run is the you know you have senator so and so or congressman so and so come in and they meet with the president and um, the White House chief is not present uh, and they make a a fervent pitch for some favorite you know project. And the president, uh, who, who is not very good at saying no, says, sure, Tommy, well, let's do that. And then the result is something completely inconsistent with uh, the president's uh, other policies or hasn't been vetted by any of the other agencies, and, and it causes uh, huge problems. Or, or even worse, you have somebody, and this is one of the great ironies, of course, of uh, Nixon and Haldeman, is that, you know, you've had people like Chuck Colson coming and going privately with Nixon and hatching all kinds of schemes that uh, ultimately brought the Nixon White House down. And there's there's somewhat of a paradox here. You, you write that Bob Haldeman and his domestic policy assistant, John er- and Nixon's domestic policy assistant, John Ehrlichman, at the time were known by the media and historians today as the Berlin Wall for their uh, protectiveness of Nixon and restricting access to the president. Um, you say this narrative is not true, though. Uh, why? Well, you know, if you, if you talk to Larry Higby, um, he'll tell you that, that Haldeman was the guy who was uh, trying to knock the wall down. Nixon was pathologically shy. He was very, very uncomfortable around people. Uh, he was much more comfortable with a, you know, in his in his office in his private office in the executive office building with a reading a 50-page memo than he was uh, meeting with people. Um, Haldeman understood that, and he, but he also. You know, and he also encouraged Nixon to to interact more with with his staffers. So he he walked that fine line. I mean, Haldeman Haldeman was able to create enough space for Nixon to to you know make his best decisions. Uh, and at the same time, he was. Um, but you know, the notion that he and Ehrlichman were creating this wall was wasn't really true. It was Nixon himself. You named the first chapter about Haldeman, uh, the High Lord Executioner. Uh, how, how the Lord you, High Executioner. Sorry, yeah, yeah the, the High Lord Executioner. How did how did Haldeman earn this nickname? Well, it was it was Nixon's description. Um, you know, it, it, one one day. 
Nixon, who was absolutely, this may sound familiar, Nixon was absolutely convinced that the bureaucracy was full of enemies and that everyone was plotting to get him. Uh, all of his <clears throat> departments and his, uh, he thought his cabinet members were against him. He, he summoned the entire cabinet to a meeting. Uh, they came and they, no sooner had they seated themselves around this table than uh, Nixon announced that from here on, you will take your orders from H.R. Bob Haldeman. He is the Lord High Executioner. Uh, you're to do exactly what he tells you. And these guys, you know, went back to their uh, offices com completely dumbfounded uh, by this, by this uh, spectacle. But anyway, um, that was Nixon's way of just saying the chief of staff, when the chief of staff says jump, you'd better say how high. You write that um, Nixon, while he did have enemies, he was able to forge some bipartisan successes. Uh, how did Haldeman help Nixon score on these successes? Well, I think that, you know, he, he did so by being uh, a pragmatist. You know, I mean, I think that Haldeman was, was interested in getting points on the board. He was less interested in ideology than he was in executing uh, Nixon's agenda. And, and Nixon was, was himself a pragmatist. Uh, I mean, this is, um, after all, um, you know, this, is, this was the time when the Environmental Protection Agency was born. Um, you know, Nixon uh, famously, obviously, went to China. Um, he was, he came into office um, a real cold warrior, but he, he turned out to be much more pragmatic uh, than his enemies probably expected. And that was what, you know, that, that's what a good chief of staff is all about, is executing the agenda and not pushing an ideology. You mentioned China. Um, while, while Nixon and his national security advisor, um, you know, deserve Henry Kissinger deserved credit for opening China. You say that during the trip, it was Bob Haldeman who made a masterstroke of diplomacy. What do you, What do you mean by that? Well, you know, if 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 Nixon and Kissinger were the were the geniuses, were the strategists, uh, you know, the masterminds of the China opening, uh, Haldeman was the producer. I mean, he was the guy who really, you know, with all of his experiences and advanced man, um, he was the guy who really produced that trip, who made sure that all the images uh, came back, um, you know, and, you know, in, in later years, I think probably people remember that Mike Deaver was, was such a maestro under Reagan of creating uh, patriotic images and, uh, and, and, producing the Reagan presidency. Um, Haldeman was, was like that. Haldeman was terrific at, at sending those images back into the American living rooms so that uh, this became high drama as well as an important strategic opening. You brought up earlier, you, know, you talked a little bit about Watergate. Um, on Watergate, Haldeman said the system wasn't followed. Uh, you you had said any sort of any time that that successive chiefs of staff haven't followed the system that Haldeman developed, the administration went astray. Um, how, how does that? How does that? Can, can you explain? Can you develop that a little further? Why why 
why ultimately um, why ultimately do, 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 do administrations fail if they don't follow this model? Well, two, in, in a way, that's two separate questions. One, one is Watergate, which, of course, is um, you know was was Haldeman's downfall, and and still a, a real mystery uh, to me and to this day. I mean, I, you know, Evan Thomas, uh, the Nixon biographer, and I were, were talking about this too, and and agreeing that uh, that it's a real mystery about Haldeman. I mean, here was a guy who was one of the best chiefs of staff ever. Uh, he ran a tight ship, um, created the template for the for the modern White House chief of staff, and yet he was it all unraveled with Watergate. You know, how did that happen? Uh, well, the truth is, I think that um, you know Haldeman did not was was not successful in preventing. The, the end runs that we talked about before. I think um, uh, Nixon did turn to Colson and others uh, to to get some of these things done that um, uh, that Haldeman really should have put a stop to. Uh, he failed, in my opinion, to to tell Nixon what he didn't want to hear uh, when the cover-up uh, began. Um, and on the other hand, what do you do when you know it's now clear that Nixon was really in on the cover-up from almost day one? That's a pretty tough thing to manage. Um, so that's the fascination of Haldeman. That, that's the paradox of Haldeman to me. He later said uh, in 1986, he said, I think that we established a superb staff management system. The thing I wish we had done was to have kept the system intact through the greatest crisis that did hit us. Um, so the system broke down for whatever reason. Um, in in presidencies that have followed, I guess what I'm saying is that history is littered with the wreckage of presidencies that did not understand that you have to empower a White House chief of staff as first among equals to to govern. Uh, we're seeing that right now uh, in the current administration. Now, governing is tough. Uh, governing is nothing like running a family Manhattan real estate firm. You can't have a whole bunch of guys coming and going out of the Oval Office with equal authority and expect somehow that that's going to enable you to govern. That, that way lies chaos and dysfunction. Uh, and Jerry Ford um, tried it. He realized within a month it was a disaster. He called it the spokes of the wheel with the president at the center. But it doesn't work in the White House. You talk about this current administration. In terms of Haldeman's legacy, uh, what can what can Rents Priebus um, at this time learn learn from uh, learn from Bob Haldeman and the Nixon in the Nixon administration system? Well, I think. You know what I think he and, and both, both he and Donald Trump could learn um, is is this central lesson of uh, recent presidential history going all the way back to Haldeman. I mean, every president learns often the hard way that you cannot govern effectively without empowering a White House chief as first among equals, um, and that's been proved true over and over again. And it's amazing how often presidents have to learn that lesson all over again. Um, there's, a, there's a certain hubris, I think, that every president brings into, into office. And it's the notion that, uh, well, if you guys are so smart, how come we beat you? Um, but governing is different from campaigning. And, um, you know, I think that uh, Donald Trump has, has yet to learn that lesson. There's 
very little the chief of staff can do unless the president uh, empowers him to execute his agenda, and that has not happened. Uh, the book is called The Gatekeepers, How the White House Chiefs, Defi Chiefs of Staff Define Every Presidency. Uh, Chris Whipple, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. I enjoyed it.